This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. There is someone very special that is doing something for Rabbi Wallerstein, Rabbi Zechariah Wallerstein, Zechariah Levacha. What they're doing is that they're, 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 they're going to start doing a, um, taking his shirim or his clips and putting Hebrew subtitles. There's a huge, huge market in the Israeli, you know, in the Israeli world to, uh, you know, to, Top, you know, things like for that Robert Wallace speaks about with like Europe and different types of things. So what's happening is that there's a, there's a person in Eretz Yisrael that's going to be working on taking Rabbi Wallace's shirim and putting subtitles and then spreading it out. So uh, there is Baruch Hashem already found somebody that to, to do the subtitles. Now they're just raising the money to do the subtitles. And so whoever wants a sponsor, Le'ilu Nishmas, Eschos, whatever it is, it's a huge, huge things for. It's this is specifically for Rabbi Wallace's shirim. You could email mbloom5 at yahoo.com. That's mbloom5 at yahoo.com. The Zell is also the same, mbloom5 at yahoo.com. All the money is going to go directly into um, going and, and taking the Shi'arim and, tra- and, and translating it and putting subtitles in Hebrew for the entire, uh, you know, Israeli, uh, the Hebrew-speaking, Hebrew-speaking world. So it's a great, great schus uh, for, for not only for Rabbi Zechariah Wallerstein, but also for whoever else wants to tap into it, because this is something that is, that is going to be uh, huge. Tonight we are learning Le'iluni Shmat to Avram ben Chaim Yehuda and Yecheskel ben Avraham. So uh, tonight is a type of class that, you know, the, the, the topic is dealing with the curveballs of life. This is something that is effective, or I, I should better say it touches all parts of our life. It, it can touch in our relationships, it touches in our work, in our pranasa, it touches in our spiritual growth. Every aspect in our children and the chinah, every aspect, we, we have to deal with this uh, you know, or we'll just call it curveballs. We have to deal with these curveballs. And the better that we are prepared for it, the more that we practice for it, the better off that we're going to be. And this is something that no matter where you're standing in your life, there's always an improvement for it. There's always something that you could benefit from it. There's always something that you could, that you can gain from it. Uh, this, this not only is, is important for your emotional state or your stressful situations, because technically that's usually what curveballs usually bring, but it also changes your quality of life. It always changes on how you, how you deal with certain things. Now, when things are easy, when things are smooth, it's easy to deal with it in a positive fashion, in a correct fashion, that is to say, even though not everybody always does that, but it's still, it's easier to deal with it. But once you throw a curveball, that's when it becomes more difficult, that's where it becomes more problematic, and that's where people lose their cool, and that's where, you know, and one thing leads to another, and then you fall into a place where, like, how did I get in here? So, the, you know, the idea with with dealing with the curveballs is really trying to properly deal with the issues. And the way that you're going to properly deal with the issues is, keyword, to properly deal with the issues. So, so very often we don't deal with them in the right level. And I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, you have people that, uh, no, I shouldn't say have people, literally everyone has, has this. And if you haven't thought about this, if you think about it, for sure you'll bring up some ideas and some examples in your own life that you could attest to this. And that is where you are in a really, really stressful situation. And in this stressful situation, you're, you're, you're thinking, you know, like, 
five years down the line, 10 years down the line, looking back at where I am today, I will laugh at it. It will be hilarious. It will be funny. But right now, you're sweating. You're losing your mindset. You're losing your cool. It's like the whole world is coming crashing down. But you know that five years down the line, it's not going to be as important or imperative or as crucial or as stressful as you're feeling it right now. Now, the the stress level that we're dealing with it happens. Is, is directly correlated with the level of stress that we associate where that thing should be. So, so just, just to clarify this. So let's say, for example, someone leases a new car. And they lease a new car, right? Nowadays, you're literally paying a mortgage to lease a, to lease a car. So you're leasing a car, and a few days after you get the car, there's a nice scratch along the side. Now, every time that you see that scratch... Oh, yeah, yeah, like your whole day gets ruined. You're like, I can't believe it. I just got this new car. I didn't opt in for the coverage. I have to now, you have all, and it just ruins your entire day. And it's not just one day. This could be for, for weeks or even months or even the two, three year lease period. Every time you see it, you're, it's gonna, it's gonna ruin your day. Fast forward two cars down the line or whatever it is, you know, 10 years down the line, thinking back about it, you're gonna be like, I can't believe that I, I let that get to me. I can't believe that I was so stressful to the point that I ruined my day, it ruined my mood for something so silly, so nonsense. So now the question is, so, so what is the correct level, the correct response, that, you know, the stress level that we are supposed to have? Is it at the time being where our stress level is so high, our response is so like to the point where it ruins our entire day? Or is it five years down the line where we look back at it and we're like, what? That's what I got upset about? I got upset, like, like it ruined my day, that little stupid thing? Like I can't believe that it ruined my day. And the answer is, it's, the correct response is usually somewhere in between that. It's never at the polar extent, you know, the size where we're feeling the issue right now versus what we have it down the line in the future. But how many things that happen in our day-to-day life, even if like, you know, the simplest thing of, let's say, I don't know, missing a light or getting stuck behind a garbage truck for a half hour and it just like destroys, you know, like I can't like, you know, like it ruins your entire day or whatever it is that you have a small inconvenience that it makes it a, a huge impact on your day and your day is ruined. But in hindsight, when you look at it, you're like, I what? like I, I, I can't believe that's the level that I got upset about. Now, if you could picture it, imagine that, imagine you, you have like a radar, right? Uh, that every time that you get upset or angry or, you know, like any emotional negative state, it goes up, right? It starts in the green and then it goes to the yellow, then it goes into the red. And then you are dealing with something in your life currently and it goes up to the yellow, it goes up to the red and you're really, really stressful. And that scene, right? The, there's a video of it and there's the, the meter of it that's saved, and you watch that two years down the line. I would even go and venture to say you watch that two weeks down the line. But let's be safe and say 20 years down the line. And you look at it and you'll be like, I can't believe this is what I got so upset about. I can't believe I let this bother me so much. So many things in our life, you know, we get so 
distracted by the main goal, by the little things we get, you know, and, and I can't tell you how, how imperative this thought process is because there's so many things, whether it's in dating, whether it's in marriage, whether it's in business, you know, whatever I speak with, some, we unfortunately focus on the wrong aspects and we pinpoint and we zoom in, we double click on those negative aspects and it takes our whole life, our whole day, our whole emotional state on a roller coaster. And by the way, this is, happens to me as well. I'm not just saying it like, like I, but it's a, it's a thought that if we take that step back and we realize where we're holding, it changes reality. Like, let me repeat that. It's going to change your reality. If you put things in the right perspective, it's going to change your reality. I want to share with you something that I've shared before. I don't remember how many years ago, but I think it's so imperative, so crucial, such, such, a, such an amazing lesson. There was a uh, 16-year-old girl that was uh, having issues. You know, she she came from a very well-respected family, very well-to-do family. You know, professionals, two parents, and both of them are doctors, are very you know well-to-do in their in their field. And the, the you know 16-year-old was being a teenager, wasn't fully following in their ways. And uh, they decided that they're going to take this girl and they're going to you know send her to school abroad. Uh, you know, like sort of this border school, and uh, they uh, they sent her abroad, and the, the parents used to call, you know, often say, "How are you doing?" But they got the vibe that the daughter didn't want to. She's like, "Oh, yeah, I have to speak with my parents again." She's like, she wanted her own space, so they gave them she they gave them her the space. A few months go down the line, they didn't hear from the daughter. They're getting nervous. Suddenly, they get a letter in the mail. They open up the letter, and in it, they see it's a letter from the daughter, and it says, "Mom, Dad, when you read this letter." I know that you won't be happy about this, but please just read it till the end. And then she goes in parentheses, but all caps, saying that, do me a favor, when you're reading this letter, please be sitting down. Now, if we stop right now and we let any parent who's a parent know what's going on, like, at this point, the parents, you know, she's already been kidnapped. She's already been sold as a slave. She's already been transferred to another country. She's already, you know, who knows what's going on through the parents' mind. So they sit down and they continue reading the letter. And it goes and says about two months ago, um, she goes, this, this daughter, and says, you know, I got into a car accident. And, uh, you know, like I went, you know, flying out of the car. I, you know, I broke this left foot. I broke the right rib. I broke this elbow, like a bunch of broken bones. And she says she was sent to she was sent to the hospital, and after you know the hospital they patched her up, but she wasn't ready to go back home yet. You know she needed to go to get you know the, the, do some uh, short term rehab. So she went to this nursing home, and in this nursing home she sat over there and she struggled with every single day with the pain, with going through all the you know all the exercises from the physical therapist, from the occupational therapist, from the speech therapist, from all angles. And she said there was a person that came. You know, by the name of Miguel Javier, he was, uh, you know, the janitor on the floor, and he came to visit me every single day. Every single day he came to visit me. And, you know, we spoke, and he helped me and encouraged me. You know, we had to use Google Translate, you know, for the, you know, communications. But uh, he stayed with me day in and day out until I was discharged from the nursing home. And, you know, because he came to me all these days... You know, and he helped me every, in every step of the way. We started to get to know each other. And we started to get really close. And uh, shortly, you know, during my stay, we, we, we fell in love with each other. And, you know, she goes on in the letter and she says, you know, he's, he's a little bit older than me by, by a mere 24 years. Uh, but, you know, you guys always say age is just a number, right? 
you know, he happens to have four children, but it's okay because he doesn't really spend so much time with them. So it really doesn't bother me, uh, you know, so much. Uh, so I'm not really worried about that. So, I, you know, I'm writing you this letter to invite you to our wedding, uh, which we'll, we'll need to make, you know, fairly quickly uh, before the, you know, before the bump shows. But, uh, you know, I just wanted you to, uh, to get the invitation, uh, you know, earlier rather than later. Sincerely, your loving daughter. The parents at this point are nearly having a heart attack. Then they see a little arrow at the end of the page, and they turn it over, and there's a P.S. And the daughter goes and says, P.S., I really didn't get into a car accident. I never met a man by the name of Miguel Javier. Yeah, I like saying that name. That's why I called that name. And I'm not getting married. I just failed out of school that you sent me to. And I wanted you to put it in perspective that it's not so bad. That, you know, I fell out of school. So, um, PPS, can you please send me a ticket home? And that was her letter. Her letter was basically like, it could be worse. If she would have just said, oh, I failed out of school, parents would be like, whoa. But she went on this roller coaster where she met this guy and then she's getting married and now she's going to be a grandmother. Who knows what she's going to be at the age of, you know, 16 and a half. She's like, well, you know, what's going on? Okay, fine. You know, okay, so you felt, okay, we'll take you home. All of a sudden, things are not so bad. I don't know why she fell out of school. If she wrote this letter, she must be pretty smart. But it, when we look, when we take things and we put things in perspective, it always changes our reality and our response and our emotional state and how we react to that situation. Meaning that anything in life could always be worse. Now, this is not the best way to think about it. Like, oh, okay, but but if we stop for a second, realize, really, you know, it it, it really could be worse. And we're really not as bad off as our emotions and our mind make it seem. You know, maybe someone's dealing with marriage issues, but they're married, Baruch Hashem. Maybe they can make work, maybe not, but, that's, but, but they're married. They're, they're up to a stage like that. Maybe someone has a health issue, but they're alive. Some people have difficulty in their jobs, but you have a job. Like there's always a different angle to look at things. There's always a different perspective to look at things. You know, when you're dealing with people, you know, Baruch Hashem, it's a schuss that I have to be able to speak to people and deal with people. Um, I, I just got to put it out there for, for the people that email me. I'm just going to like apologize straight out. Like, I, I'm sorry. I just like, I've been trying to get to it, but I, I can't. But like people that call me, like that, that's really the best way to, to get a hold of me. Call or text. But the people that call me and, and I speak to them, you know, you deal with like, problems that people have and sometimes you deal with like some serious problems it could be a marriage problems it could be parnasa problems it could be children problems people going off the deck whatever this situation health issues different situations that are really really serious issues and then you're dealing and then you get a phone call where like someone's dealing with like just something is doesn't feel right in my life you know like parnasa check marriage check children check health check but then there's like and then you know, you, you stop for a second, be like, wait a minute, I just got off the phone with someone who's dealing with, uh, I don't know, they can't have any children. It was like something like really serious. And like now, like, you know, you just don't feel right. You know, the coffee didn't taste so good today. Like, like you know, something's like so minor. And when I'm speaking to these, you know, this person who has like this minor issue, in their mind, it's, it's, it's a huge issue. And I have to respect that. And I have to present myself as it is a huge, a huge issue. When I take a step back, I'm going to be like, wait a minute. Be like, 
this is really not a huge issue compared to the previous issue that I was dealing with. And then I take even a step back further and be like, wait a minute, the previous issue that I was dealing with, it's not really that big. You know, okay, so I could say it, it's a little bit easier because I'm not involved with, with, with the particular situations. But if the, the, the idea is that we take a step back. And when we take a step back, all of a sudden the reality becomes much clearer, becomes much more, you know, like, I guess, I guess in the right perspective, you know, you put things. And once you put things in the right perspective, it changes your reality. I want to share with you something that happened to me this past Shabbos. So Friday afternoon, uh, right before Shabbos, I was taking out my contacts. And whoever has contacts, well, you know, could maybe relate a little bit. And my eyes were very dry. And as a kind of the context kind of like, you know, stuck to my eye to the point that I never had this before, where as I took out my contacts, it sort of like stretched, like, like I was taking it out of my eye and you, like I saw the contacts, like just like stretch was like, oh, you know, in my mind, I'm like, oh, this is, uh, this doesn't not look right. And, and, you know, I took out my left one first, it took it out and it came out fine. It was a little bit dry, but it was fine. And then I did that to the set, to, the, to my right one, and it kept on stretching. And then it like it came out, but instantly I had tremendous amount of pain in my eye, and I was like, "Oh no!" And I started trying to put drops and this. Uh, I was it, w- it was literally you know brutal, and um, you know sometimes you know you're you're Arab Shabbos. How does Arab Shabbos come? No one's ever ready for Shabbos. Yeah, you can't. It's very difficult to be ready for Shabbos. You're always rushing at the Shabbos. So it's coming. I'm like, I didn't have time to like focus on my eye. You know, there were still things that I had to get done before Shabbos. So I'm rushing. I'm getting things done. And as I'm doing it, my eye is getting redder. It's tearing. Uh, you know, it's, I'm having more more in pain. And um, you know, like Shabbos comes, I go to shul, and instead, I would assume, you know, like okay, you know, like. Something, you know, whatever was dry with it, eventually it's going to get better. But instead of getting better, it kept on getting worse and worse and more and more painful. Um, uh, after shul, I come home and I am, you know, like there's something like obviously wrong in my, you know, in my eye. And I'm like thinking, I'm like, you know, what probably happened is I, the eye, the contact was dried. I took it out. And as I pulled it out, part of it stuck to my eye because it was dry. And part of it, like maybe maybe I have part of a contact still in my eye. And that's why I'm having this discomfort. So I come home. I go into the mirror. I'm trying to look. I can't even see because my eye is so blurry. So I ask my wife to, you know, look into my eye. See and she says, you know, I see there's something There's something there. And she says, well, let's look at the contact. And Baruch Hashem, I still had the contact. And we look at the contact. And the contact looks like it's missing a small piece inside, you know, like close to the center of it. So, you know, we both came to the conclusion that it must be that I have something stuck in my eye and that's why it's causing me the discomfort. At this point, my eye is like red, it's tearing, I'm having a hard time opening it, a lot of pain. So, you know, what I think that I need to do right now is I need to remove that extra piece stuck in my eye. And now for, you know, someone who has having pain in their eye and it's, you know, red and it's tear and it's this painful, like, it's very hard to stick your hand inside your eye and try to remove that piece. But I try and I start opening my eye and I start, you know, trying to scratch it, trying to remove that piece and it's not coming out. And every time I'm touching my eye, I'm in excruciating pain uh, to the point that I couldn't do it anymore. Like I literally, I, I call my wife and I have to like pry it open. I'm saying, you got to just like, just, just scratch it out. Like take it in my mind. I'm like, take it out. Everything is going to be Okay. And I'm opening my eye, and she sees where the location is, and she tries to take it out. Now, I don't know if you've ever had somebody else scratch your eyeball, 
or I don't know if you have ever scratched your eyeball. It's not. It's not. It's not a tickle. It's not comfortable. It's not a comfortable situation. And needless to say, I was in. I was in a lot of pain. And uh, we're trying to take out this eye. I, I to a certain point that I couldn't. You know, like I, you know, I, she wasn't able to do it. I like I couldn't open my eye, but like I knew that I had it over there. And the pain is getting worse and worse. And I keep on saying, okay, I have to take it out. So I'm pacing myself. I'm getting myself in the zone. And then I'm okay. Well, I'm good. well let's do this. I open my eye and I like literally try like scratch it out. And every time I touch it, the pain, it feels like I'm scratching my eye. I'm, you know, like, like imagine you have sharp needle and you're just poking it in your, like, it's excruciating pain. It came to the point where my wife was like, you know, should, you know, like I, I was incapacitated at that point in time. And my wife is like, should I call Hatsala? I'm like, Hatsala, no, Hatsala, like, call Hatsala, no. You know, like, and I'm still trying to get it out. Fast forward about like, I want to say 20 minutes, but with all honesty, probably three and a half minutes uh, later, my wife comes back and she's like, I'm, you know, like, should I call it? Am I, I'm going to call it all. And I get to the point, I'm like, yeah, please, you know, call it all. Like, this is not, you know, like, this is not working out. Like, it, the pain was like unbearable at this point. And I, um, you know, like in my mind, I'm like thinking at this point, my eye was like shot. I couldn't open anymore. Um, and I'm thinking, I'm like, okay, like what's going to be like, I'm going to the hospital. You know, I live in New Jersey. I live in Jackson, New Jersey. I can't, it's, it's not like going to be a walking option. I'm like, I'm thinking, wait, maybe, maybe if they take me to Lakewood, was, what am I thinking? I'm like, I'm going to go to the, the hospital. They're going to do something to my eye and they're going to scrape off that missing contact. And then, you know, I'll, I don't know, I'll walk home or something like that if it's possible. Literally, we're talking about a four-hour walk at minimum if they would take me to the closest hospital. So, like, all while this is happening, I'm like, I didn't make Kiddush yet. I need to make Kiddush. How am I going to eat? Maybe I'm going to be stuck in there for hours, hospital, ER. I'm like, all these thoughts are coming in. Then I'm like, I'm going to have to wear, like, like, I'm putting on, like, sneakers instead of, like, my, like, I'm just trying to figure out, like, how I'm going to get back home. I need to do Kiddush. I need to do here. So who knows how long I'm going to be staying over there. And all this is going through my mind. And meanwhile, my wife calls Hatzalah. And Hatsala comes, shout out to Hatsala, um, unbelievable, two of my uh, neighbors who are Hatsala members. I don't know, can I say their names? Should I give a shout out to them? Uh, I don't know, I didn't really ask them. Do they want to know? That? I don't know. Whatever they are, they know who they are. But uh, two amazing neighbors that they came in. And um, I was, in my mind, like, you know, Baruch Hashem, I didn't have to call Hatsala. You know, this is the first time I ever had to call Hatsala for myself. And... Um, I was like, in my mind, I'm like, okay, let's just, you know, I'm in pain. I know that I can't be over here. Uh, you know, just drop me off at the hospital because that's what I thought. That's what I told us, right? They pick you up. They drop you off at the hospital. Shalom Ali Shalom. I did my chesed. And uh, they're like, what's the problem? I'm like, oh, I need to go to the hospital. Because, and they're like, no, no, no. Like, explain to me the problem. And I started explaining them the problem. And they're like, okay, let's try to get an, op- you know, an ophthalmologist, an optometrist on the phone. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> like, uh, well, what's happening? Like, we're actually trying to fix it over here. Like, is that even a solution? Is that even an option? I didn't know that was an option. So they, they, you know, they get on the phone. This is Friday, Friday night. They get on the phone and they start, you know, calling every local optometrist and ophthalmologist that they have. But the problem is it's Shabbos and every ophthalmologist and optometrist they have is, is a, you know, is, is a from Yid and it's, you know, they're not answering the phone. So at this point they're thinking, okay, where are we going to take you? Like you have an eye issue. Like it was like a, you know, serious thing. Where am I going to take you? The nearest thing was like, okay, the, you know, was like, is Philadelphia. Philadelphia is a place where you go with the eyes. So they're, I'm like, wait, you're not going to just drop me off on Kimball. They're like, what? Well, who's ophthalmologist over there? Like, is there anybody decent over there? We're not going to just drop you off and, you know, like in some random hospital. Who knows what type of care you're going to get? I was like, oh, no way. 
good. I'm like, okay. I'm like, I, I didn't know this is the level of service. And, um, you know, so, so what they ended up doing is that there is a certain ophthalmologist, uh, Dr. Roth in Lakewood, unbelievable. He's, he's top, top of the line. And he, and, and they start radioing in to other Hatzalah members. Is anybody nearby to an ophthalmologist, maybe near Dr. Roth, that they could go over to his house and get him on the phone to explain the scenario and say where we should go? And I, in my pain, in my mind, I'm like, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe this is what they're doing for me. Like, I, I, I couldn't even believe the, the you know, the, the level of chesed that was going on. And they get on the phone, and they get on the radio, and one guy radios back and says, I'm close to the, to, you know, to the eye doctor. I'm going to walk over. He walks over to the, to the, you know, to the ophthalmologist's house, and the ophthalmologist then gets on the phone with the hot cellar member, and they describe the situation. And he says it's probably a corneal abrasion, which means is it's probably a, a you know a cut in my eye. But you know, if I want, he could bring him over to me. I'll check him out. Maybe I'll give him something to help with the pain, and you know, I could check him out that way. And at this point, I'm like, I, I yeah, like I, I definitely like there's no there's no question. Like I can't I can't stay home either. It's a hospital or this guy, whatever it is. So um, he and this just astounds me further. Like Hatala has a like they have a guy that that they do like transport on Shabbos. They came in the Hatzalah. They brought the Hatzalah truck, but they didn't need. They had a Hatzalah van also. They came down over here, and this you know the, you know this this sweet Gaisha person comes in and helps me to the car. I couldn't see at this point. I, my eyes were closed. I couldn't see. I was in excruciating pain. Every like everything I every like everything was painful. I, I walked. I moved. It was painful. So I get into the um, I get into the car, and as I'm thinking, I'm like, I can't believe, you know, like I'm getting into a car on Shabbos. Then I'm like, it's a picor. you know, it's like it's such a difficult thing to do. And I realize, that, you know, like halachically speaking, this is what I need to do. I get into the car, and they start driving me. I can't see a thing. All I hear is the engine, and it sounds like they're going very, very fast. And they get they get to this, um, you know, to the eye doctor's house. You know, like they had to help me to the. I, I felt like a hundred and fifty year old man. They literally had to help me up the stairs. They put me down over there. They had to wait till the. You know, the happens to be this eye doctor. It's not like who he is. He has a whole. He had a whole Torah links. Um, you know, Shabbaton in his house at that time. So there must have been I don't know how many people staring. Like I walk in and like my eyes are down. Like people would have thought either like I'm sick, I'm crazy, or I'm a couple because like my eyes are down. Like I'm like in my my concentration. Like I'm tearing. Like you know like. The situation did not look pretty. <coughs> so, he, I sit down, he brings me to his office, and he starts checking out my eye. I couldn't open my eye at this point. He had to numb my eye, to, and then we were able to, I was able to pry it open. He was able to look within a few seconds. He was like, yeah, it's a corneal abrasion. He basically told me, he says, what happens is, is that I took out the contact, and what I thought was there was a piece of contact in my eye, really, Part of the layer of my eye was removed with the contact, meaning that I have a part, a small top layer of my eye that is no longer there. It's basically I have a bruise, a cut over there. And what happening was is I was literally scratching an open cut in my eye, and that's why I kept on getting more and more and more painful. You know, then you know the then, then the question was like, wait, wait, halakhically, now he numbed me. I figured out, am I allowed to go back? You know, back 
back home, you know, like in, you know, in the car, do I have to walk? I was prepared, you know, to walk at this point, but it happens to be like, whatever. Halakhalamaisa, the bottom line was, was, I was able to, I was able to get the ride back, and they brought me back to my house. I was bandaged up, whatever. <laughs> the, the story goes on, uh, not so, you know, not so fun for the next 24 hours, but Baruch Hashem, within a day, uh, within like, I don't know, like uh, Friday night, by the way, all this happened, I was home already before 8 o'clock. Before 8 o'clock, I was, I, this felt to me like it was, I was 16 hours. The whole thing was probably under an hour. That, that's how amazing how, and efficient that's all it was. And I get back, I get back home. I'm, I'm excruciating pain. The doctor patched me up. I looked like a pirate, you know, with like this, this makeshift patch. And, um, you know, every, everywhere where I looked was painful. Like if I had to look inside a sitter, so when you look in sitter, your eyes are moving. Every time I moved my eye, I felt like it was like needles that were going through my eye. And it was hard for me to dive in. It was hard for me for, you know, to, to, you know, to read anything. And all I was able to do is literally just close my eyes and just like not move. That's what I had to do. And the miraculous thing was that by the next day, by like, I don't know, 24, like by the time Shabbos was over, my patch was off and I was in, I was in pain, but like nothing compared to the night before. By Sunday, it was like I was barely in any pain. And when I was by the doctor, the doctor said, yeah, by Tuesday, you should be, you know, the pain should go away. And I'm like, there's no way. Like in my mind, there's no way that by Tuesday, you know how much pain I'm in right now? Who knows how long this is going to last? But literally by Tuesday, like I had no more pain. You know, like, it, and I was like, the miracle. And I was like, how is it going to heal? The doctor says, no, it heals, it heals by itself. The pain that I had by Friday night, the pain that I had by Moshe Shabbos, and the pain that I had by Sunday night was uncomparable. How miraculous the eye is that from one day to the next day, it's a world of difference. And I have to say, I'm still in like super duper blurry vision. Like I don't see clearly at all. And it was came to the point that I was like, okay, maybe I should cancel the class because I literally, I'm having a very hard time seeing. And then I was like, no, we canceled like two, you know, I couldn't give, you know, because of the weddings, whatever. I couldn't give two classes in two weeks at all. I got a third week in a row. I couldn't do it. I said, you know, we got to do it. But like, you know, like putting the blurry vision of the shot, how amazing it is. Baruch Hashem, I can give the Shavach and Aydot, that I don't have the pain anymore. Like we don't realize how much something so small can cause so much pain. You know, like you have like a pain in your tooth. Like it destroys you. It like it incapacitates you. Like the pain in the eye. It's like a similar thing. Like you can't do anything. Like you're, you're like I wasn't able to learn. I wasn't able to. It was a hard time for me to dive in, in the sit there. I had to do like half of it by heart, half of it inside. Like I couldn't move my eye. Like and from one day to the next, how much you could see the difference and how much your your reality changes. You know, forget about like when I was in so much pain. You think I was worried. About like what happened that day, you know, like the stresses that I had. That you don't even think about that. You're focusing only on the pain, and there's nothing else that you could focus on. There's nothing else that you can focus on because you're dealing with one thing and one thing only. And then you and then you take the step back and you think about the miracle of like the eye and how bad it was and how amazing it is right now. And if you take things in perspective, there's two ways that I could look at it. I can look at it from a negative perspective. I can't believe the pain that I had to ruin my Shabbos. I wasn't able to, you know, to, to you know, to enjoy Shabbos. I wasn't able to learn. I wasn't able to go adapt in the way that I wanted to. There were so much things that I could have been complaining about and I could focus on. Or I could focus on the opposite. I could be like, look at the amazing miracle of the eye. 
Look at it like how Hakadosh Baruch Hu did so much chesed that it healed by itself. Can you imagine that you have something so so like like destructive that it just like recuperates by itself, but so quick a, a scab in your on your on your skin takes weeks to heal. Your eye within a few days it's gone. Okay, the blurry vision could stay a lot longer, but Bezal Hashem, that will go away also. But like you think about it for a second, you think about like where am I going to put my perspective? Where am I going to put my focus on? Am I going to put my focus on the destruction? Or what? Even if I stop for a second, be like, look at how amazing my neighbors are. Look at how amazing Hatsala is. Like, can we even begin to imagine? Like, you have people, this happens to be, was my Shal Shudda speech in Shul, and like, was, was on this topic. Like, look at the difference of Chesed. You, you know what's the difference of pe- people that want to do Chesed and people that need to do Chesed? People that want to do chesed, it was very simple. They're Hatzalah people, they come in and be like, no problem, you have an issue, we'll take you to the hospital, we'll drop you off, we'll do, and that's amazing by the way, don't get me wrong, that's unbelievable. But this was like a completely different level. This is someone who went, and they're like, no, what, we're gonna take you to the hospital? They were willing to drive me to Philadelphia, like it's an hour drive each way, just so I could get a better cure, and they were like calculating all these things, and they ended up spending like, you know, time on the phone and contacting another Hatzalah member to go and walk over there, and this is Mika Amcha Yisrael. Who is like the Jewish nation? Can we even begin to to understand how amazing the Jewish people are? How amazing! Like, who does this? Who does this? And they're like, you know, if I were, you know, to to go and I figure out where do I want to put my focus on, I put my focus on how amazing the Jewish people are, how amazing my eye is, how amazing the fact that you're able to heal itself. I can focus, it's blurry, it's still a little bit painful, it's a little bit dry, we can focus on that thing, but it depends on where you want to put your focus. And where you're putting your focus in your life is depending on your emotional state. You can either be upset or angry at the same situation, or you can be happy and grateful at the exact same situation, it all depends on which angle you're looking at it at. So the step one, and how to deal with the curveballs of life, is all about the perspective. Always take a step back and look at the different angles. Look at the different perspective and look at things that you could be that is so amazing. Don't look. Don't focus on the negative. It doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help you. It doesn't. It does nothing but brings everything down. Let's go to step two. We would like to go to three steps. Step two is a step on on whose benefit is for. Like when you're getting going through something difficult. Why, why is Akadish Baruch doing that? Why is God doing that? That's, God's doing it for you. There was a student of the Divrei Shmuel who um, was, was poor, was destitute, didn't have any money. And the rabbi, the rabbi went over to him and he says, I want you to go and bring me 200 ruble. Now, 200 ruble was a significant amount of money. This guy poor didn't have one ruble. He didn't have two rubles to, to rub together. He says, you want me to bring you 200? No, but the Rebbe, you know, the Rebbe said something, the rabbi said something, okay, you know, like, you don't ask questions, you know, people that really respect the rabbis, if they're, they're, especially their rabbi, if the rabbi tells them to do something, no questions, it's done, you know, sort of like the mafia boss, right, he tells you get it done, you get it done, you don't ask any questions, the Rebbe tells you to do something, I don't know why I'm comparing two very, very diametrically opposite things, but the level of respect, of authority that the Rebbe had in you know, certain communities, in certain people, you know, the Rebbe says something, you take it to the bank and you do it. The Rebbe goes to this poor man and says, I want you to bring me please 200 rubles. 
and the guy's thinking, he says, okay, the rabbi says, yeah, of course, of course, no problem. These guy's going home. He says, 200, I don't have one ruble in my house. What am I supposed to do? He says, okay, you know, like, I, you know, what are you supposed to do? You know, the rabbi wants, you know, 200 rubles. He start going, go to, the, to this person, go to that person. He says, you know, I'm collecting for the rabbi. The rabbi asked me to bring, uh, to bring, uh, you know, 200 rubles. And he goes and he collects, you know, 200 rubles. And within a few days, he goes to the rabbi and he says, rabbi, here you go. Here's the 200 rubles. The rabbi takes it, thanks him very much, and, uh, you know, sends him home. A few days later, a few days later, he calls back this guy. And he says, um, you know, you did such a good job collecting those 200 rubles. You did it so fast. Can you be fair? I need another 200 rubles. And the guy is thinking, he says, another 200 rubles? He says, where am I going to... I just, I just called in all the favors from all my friends. Like, I'm going to get another two. Where am I going to get this from? But the rabbi said, fine, you know, no problem. You know, I'm going to do it. He goes out, he goes into the next town, he says, you know, the Rebbe, the, you know, the Diver Shmuel, he was once, he asked me to collect 200 rubles, he says, can you please, and within a short period of time, he was able to bring 200 rubles. He got the 200 rubles, smacked it on the Rebbe's, you know, table, felt proud of it, says, Rebbe, you requested, I delivered. You know, he didn't say that, but in his mind, he was like, you know, like, I get things done. The Rebbe thanks him profusely, gives him blessing, and he goes, uh, and he goes home. Uh, a few days go by. And the Rebbe calls him back. And at this point, he's like, oh my gosh. He's like, the Rebbe is going to, he's going to ask. <laughs> like, like, this is a track record already at this point. And he gets into the Rebbe's office. And the Rebbe looks at him and he says, you know, you're unbelievable. You're amazing. Gives him blessing. You know, I need another 200 rubles. Can you do me a favor? Can you do it? And, he, you know, he's like, thinking, he's like, Rebbe, come on. You know, I get things done. You know, I got, I, no problem. He goes, he goes over to another, he starts, you know, hustling and he gets, Within a few days, he gets 200 rubles. He brings it back to the Rebbe, and the Rebbe thanks him. The Rebbe doesn't ask him for anything anymore. Six months go by. Six months go by, and he forgets about this, you know, a few days incident where he had to go collect money for the Rebbe and uh, the rabbi, and he goes, and he, you know, he goes back to the rabbi, and he says, you know, you know, Rebbe, I, I, you know, I need help. He says, you know, you know, I don't have any money. You know, I'm, you know, I'm a poor person. You know, I have a daughter that's a marriageable age, and I need money to marry her off. And uh, the rabbi says, you, I, I know. And he says, I, I don't know where I'm going to get this money. I, you know, I need, I, I need a significant sum. And the rabbi turns around, goes over to his safe, opens it up, and takes out 600 ruble, the exact 600 ruble that this guy collected, and he puts it on the table in front of him. And he says, I knew that you had a daughter of a marriageable age. I knew that the time is going to come very shortly that you're going to have to need, you know, a significant amount of money. So I preemptively went and asked you to raise money and here you go and here, here's the money that you already raised. This is all for you. And he gave him the money. In reality, God works in that way as well. There are things that we need and God preempts it. We know that, that the Baruch Hu knows that certain things are going to happen. And Agnes Baruch sort of sets us up that we're able to bank that cash, that credit, you know, that money in the bank that we know we're going to need it, whether it's through tests, whether it's through difficulties, whether whatever it is, Agnes Baruch sends us things our way that we know that we're going to need it later, and Agnes Baruch sending it to our way. Now, you know what's amazing about this rabbi's thought process? This rabbi, if he would have said, okay, you know, you need 600, you know, you need 600 ruble, go and collect it. It's like you know, it's like okay, it's a, it's a hit to his self esteem. It's you know, it's embarrassing. You're collecting for yourself. Here, the rabbi preemptively was able to go. The rabbi was preemptively able to go and say, "Listen, I know you're going to need the money. Says I want you to collect it for me. 
You go and you collect it for me. He didn't even think about collecting for him. He says, I'm not collecting it for myself. He goes over to all his friends and says, it's not for me. The rabbi, he called me. He says he wants it. You want to help the rabbi? You don't want to help the rabbi. Of course I want to help the rabbi. I can't say help the rabbi. It didn't affect his self-esteem. It didn't affect any, like, like he was able to get the money in the most dignified way possible. But during that test, when the rabbi calls him in and says, I need 200 rubles, the guy could think about like, are you kidding me? How am I going to give you 200 rubles? I don't have two rubles to rub together. You want me to give you more money? Like, how am I get-? He could go and he could fetch and he could complain and he could cry and he could go into, the, into, into depression. I can't believe the rabbi, this is what the rabbi wants from me. But really, it's for his own benefit. It's for his best interest. And this is what, the way that HaKadosh Baruch works. There's certain times that we go and be like, God, what are you doing to me? Like, I can't believe it. Like, I'm so good and this is what you're throwing at me. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu is telling us, just wait, my dear child, just wait. You're going to see whatever you're collecting from me, it's only going to be for you. It has nothing to do for me. And if we look at life in this way, if we look at life that everything that happens, even the negative, is for our benefit, we won't stop for a second and be upset about it. If this poor man realized that he was collecting for himself, he would have been so happy every time someone gave him the money. He didn't care it was not for me. It was for somebody else. He would have been happy with the test. But he didn't because he didn't think about it. And the next time that we go into a test, go into a difficulty, if we stop for a second and we say, wait a minute, HaKadosh Baruch was doing this for my benefit. He's making my job a little bit more difficult for my benefit. He's making my marriage a little bit more difficult for my benefit. I'm not saying you shouldn't work on it. You have to work on everything. But it's all for my benefit. And okay, now why am I going to take it to the next step, to the next level? You know, my health issue I have with this, I have a corneal abrasion. It's all for my benefit. This situation in my eye, this pain, this blurry vision, it's all for my benefit. And I publicly thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu for the pain, for the discomfort. Again, I don't want it. I don't want it. But once HaKadosh Baruch Hu said it, I know it's for my benefit and I thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu for it. And this is how we have to go. Now granted, it's a little bit difficult to do it in the moment. But if we stop for a second and we look at things with the right perspective. And how? what's the right perspective? The right perspective is that we're doing it, that everything that happens to us happens to us because HaKadosh Baruch Hu did it for our benefit. There was a soldier, there was a Russian soldier that met two, you know, Gedolim, two Tzadikim. They were traveling on a train. And uh, the soldier goes over to the rabbis. And he says, you know, before I got, you know forcibly conscripted to this Russian army or nicely asked to come join the Russian army, I was, you know, I was a religious, you know, religious person. I'm still religious, but I was a religious person to the point that I was learning. I was, you know, I was, I was, I was doing good stuff, good spiritual stuff. And HaGadosh Baruch Hu went and HaGadosh Baruch Hu took me away from my spiritual growth. I wasn't able to learn. I wasn't able to dive the minion. I wasn't able to do so, a shop. There's so many things I wasn't able to do. It's very difficult for me to, to observe my religious practice where I am in my life. And I could have been upset. I said, I could have said, I could just borrow, why are you doing this to me? Like, I thought you wanted me to be religious. I thought you wanted me to be on a high level. And I was doing that. So why did you take it away from me? But the soldier goes over to these two rabbis and says, but I didn't say that. He says, I know that God knows my purpose in this world. And I know that if God put me in the army, in the Russian army nonetheless, then God knows what He's doing. And if Hashem put me in this situation, that means that this situation is for my benefit. And I know that I have a merciful, loving Father in Heaven, and if He put me here, this is exactly where I need to be. 
I know this is exactly where I need to be, that I'm going to be happy, I'm going to be satisfied, I'm going to do whatever the best I can in my situation. In reality, this is how we're supposed to think. We always could have so many different thought processes. That, oh, if only I would be in this situation, I'll be able to learn all day. I'll be able to do chesed all day. I'll be able to do, you know, so many things. But, but HaKadosh Baruch didn't put you in that situation. At least not yet. So what are you supposed to do? You, the situation, you have to play with the cards that you're dealt with. And that's what we need to do. Every single one of us, we all have to deal with the cards that we're dealt with. And, and that's the only thing that we could do. We could start complaining and saying, but if maybe, when, and then, if I could, then I'll be great. But that's not where God put you. God knows where He wants you to be. And where He wants you to be is exactly where you are right now. You are exactly where you're supposed to be. You're in a place where you're in pain. You're in a place where you have blurry vision. You're in a place where whatever it is, is exactly where you're supposed to be. And the question is, how are you going to play the game? Are you going to complain? Are you going to be unhappy? Or are you going to accept it with happiness and you're going to play like a champ? So dealing with the curveballs, we first said that, number one, it's all about the perspective. Number two is to realize that everything, even the negative, is for your benefit. Let's go to the final step. The Pasuk and Parshas Kisava in Devarim, chapter 28, verse 47. It's a famous, famous Pasuk. There is a Pasuk, there is a verse in the Torah that says, Because you didn't serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu out of happiness, then, and you look at the future Pesukim and the future verses, it says over there a whole list of curses. That you're going to serve your enemies through famine and thirst and destitution. And then there's going to be a nation that comes, not from close, from afar, language that you don't understand. It's a brazen nation that you're, they're not going to respect the elders. They're not going to respect that, you know, you know, Anything that you, that you, you know, what you do. They're going to devour you and the livestock and the fruit and the soil. They're all to destroy you. They're going to besiege all your cities. Every and, and, the, and the curses just get worse and worse and worse and worse. And what is the origin of all these curses? It says, Because you didn't serve God out of happiness. The question is, why? Why is it so important? To serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu out of happiness. Out of all things, at the end of the day, if you go and if you did the action, you did the action, what is the difference today? It was happiness, it was not a happiness. You know, you think about it, if, let's say you have uh, a relationship between a couple. If your relationship between a couple, if let's say, you know, the spouse asks you to take out the garbage. And, you know, scenario A is you go and be like, take out the garbage. Of course, it is my pleasure you know, as a man of the house, of course I'll take out the garbage. And you take out the garbage with happiness, singing songs and praises to your wife as you go and you dispose of the wastes of the family. Scenario number two. Spouse comes and says, can you please take out the garbage? Really? Now you want me to take out the garbage? Why can't you do it? You know, like, I wash the dishes, and you can't take out the garbage? Just pick up the garbage and move it to another location. It's not so brain size. You know, like, you can do it also. It's not happy. I've raised it. You're, you're strong enough. You'll be able to do it. Two scenarios. <clears throat> and then, scenario B, after you say that whole thing, you know, your spouse gives a look at you, and you're like, you know what? Okay, fine. I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I stepped over, and you go and you say, "You know what? 
darling, sweetheart, honey, you sit down, enjoy, relax, let me take out the garbage. And you take out the garbage and you dispose of it. What was the difference between scenario A and scenario B? Scenario A, the relationship became closer. Scenario B, the relationship became further away. But in both scenarios, the action was completed. Both scenarios, the garbage was disposed of. But the difference was how it was disposed. In one way, it was disposed in a way, the action was completed in a way that it made you closer together. And up scenario and up B, it made you, it, 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 it still happened, the action happened, but now it made you, instead of making you closer, it made you further away. Let's take this on a little bit of a, a detour and take it on a, on a spiritual act, you know, sense. You're working, it's very busy, the phone's ringing, you're answering emails, you're going back and forth, it's a busy day. And you run to eat lunch, you know, you wash, you make hamaitzi, you eat your bread, and then phone calls are coming, emails are coming in, and you're answering, a half hour goes by, and all of a sudden you remember, wait a minute, I didn't bench yet. And you're like, oh, I didn't bench. So like, there's two scenarios that can happen. Oh, I need a bench. I need a bench. You know, you open up your sitter or your, or whatever it is, you open up and you go and you, you run through benching and you run through that and you continue in the work. Scenario B is like, oh, I didn't bench yet. Oh, I get to talk to God now. Like, okay, you know, like, oh, you know, like, thank you so much for this delicious food that you set me. Thank you. And you go and you have like this emotional like benching that you're able to thank HaKadosh you actually like know what you're saying and you thank HaKadosh Baruch for the food that he you know provided for you. What's the difference over here? You both, you benched in both scenarios. But the difference is one has a very, very different level than the other. When we're going and we're doing something for HaKadosh, when we do a mitzvah, if we do it of like, ugh, like, okay, fine, I'll do it. Versus, oh yeah, of course I'll do it. I love you, I want to do it. Like, there's two way different levels. And the Pasuk is telling us that because we didn't do the mitzvah out of happiness, that shows that there's a fault, there is, there is a defect in our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch with God. And if there's a relationship with God, that means there's consequences to that. And the consequences of that was a bunch of curses. Because it's not about just the actions. God doesn't need you to bench. God doesn't need you to pray. Like, God doesn't need you. You need God. Like, this is a relationship that we're building over here. So if you're doing something, and even though you do the action, but you do it in a negative aspect, like, okay, it's worth something. Don't get me wrong. You took out the garbage. It's worth something. But like, you ruined so much in the process. You could have gained so much in the, you know, through the same action. And then there's a similar idea in Parshas Hazinu. The, the Sephardah brings it down. It's talking about in Pasuk and Devarim, chapter 32, verse 6. And it speaks about Amnavo. The, 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 the translation is a disgraceful nation. Rashi says, what's the disgraceful nation? They forgot the benefit that was done for them. The Sephardah goes and says, that it's a, why is it called a despicable nation? Because it denies, rather than acknowledges, the gratitude for HaKadosh Baruch Hu's many kindness. You know, you have some people that are constantly complaining, ungrateful, unhappy. What's the reason for that, that ungratefulness? So one answer, a fairly simple and straightforward answer, is there's a lack of ahavas Hashem. There's a lack of a love of God. To understand this, there's a Pasuk in Shir Hashir. 
chapter 2, verse, verse 5. Very, very famous passage. Shlomo HaMelech goes, the Mabim goes and explains this as follows. Shlomo HaMelech was, uh, Baruch Hu, God spoke to Shlomo HaMelech two times. And it made such a, an effect in him. He was so intoxicated with happiness. He was such at a level of, of euphoria that he could never forget the time that he spoke to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And all his life, he earned, he just yearned, just, just give me another time. Just give me, speak to you all the time. And it says in Shir Hashem, the first chapter, the second thing, your love is better than wine. There's nothing better than a connection with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. There's nothing in this world that is as amazing as a pure connection to God. And that's what Shlomo Amalek says, Ki ani. I am sick in love with you. You know what sick in love means? It means that there's nothing in my life other than God. Like I'm just so in love with you. Like there's nothing else but God, I just, just love you. And that, the, the, the curses that come out, whether it's in Parshas Azinu, whether it's in Parshas, you know, Kisabai, it's all from the fact that there's a lack of appreciation, there's a lack of a sense of an understanding of doing things with joy, with happiness. Because when you're doing something with happiness, when you're doing something with love, it's on a whole different level. And that's when you're doing a mitzvah, that's without joy, that's doing a mitzvah without hakar satov. And where's the source, the origin of all this? That means that you have a lack of Ahavas Hashem. You have a lack of love of God. And that's why the Apostle goes You didn't serve God out of love. Why is this so important that it comes so many curses? It's because you're flawed. your relationship with God is flawed. You're lacking in Ahavas Hashem. You're lacking in loving God. You have to go and work on loving God because that is the source of everything. And that is why it comes with a slew of curses afterwards. So how are you going to ask? How are you going to go and work on loving God, loving HaKadosh Baruch Hu? So we have to realize that God, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, loves us to a level that we can't even comprehend. If you could imagine the greatest love that you have for whatever it is, so a single person, I don't know, it could be a love of parents, a sibling, you know, a friend, you know, unfortunately, I would say a pet that's terrible, but like, it, unfortunately, this day and age, that's something we have to throw into the equation. Someone who's married, love of the spouse, someone who has children, love of the children, the greatest love that you have in your life, that love is nothing compared to the love that God has for you. Again, you could try, oh, I wish I could see it more, Take a perspective. Take a step back. You'll see it. Like, so how are we supposed to do and feel this love? One of the things that we are supposed to do is we're supposed to open our eyes and notice the hashgacha product. We have to notice everything that happens in our life. You know, the, the, the words of happenstance, of randomness, it's mikra. It just, it just happens. But mikra, mem kufresh, hey, if you really rearrange those letters, they spell rak me hashem. Mikra, randomness, happenstance, things that just happens, you think that it just happens. Nothing just happens. Everything is from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Everything is from Hashem. If we take that step back and we realize that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is so involved in every single little thing in our lives. As the Pasuk in Rayuka, chapter 19, verse 18, very famous Pasuk says, You have to love your friend like yourself. What does it end? Ani Hashem. It ends with, with I am God. Now the question, 
very famous question. It's like, wait a minute. What does one thing have to do with another? You have to love God. I am God. What is what? Like, okay, I got to love my friend. What, is that? what does that have to do with I am God? And the answer is, is that you have to realize that who your friends are, who you got connected to, everything that happened to you is from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Stop, we analyze so many things from the wrong angle. We have to start analyzing the Ani Hashem. You have to love, you want to know why you have to love your friend? Because Ani Hashem, I put them together. I put you in this situation. You have to love them. Why? Because I put it there. Ani Hashem. And therefore, if I put you there, then you have to love them because I, I know what I'm doing. I know. And you want to know how you're going to start seeing Hashem? You have to start looking. You have to open your eyes and you have to start seeing it. And this is where it all goes back to Akar Satov. The gratitude. Once you start opening your eyes and seeing the gratefulness, the so many blessings that you have in your life, you're going to start seeing Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Imagine someone standing in the street, and all of a sudden, this guy gets a huge smack on his back, and now he's thinking, "Oh my God!" He's like, "I can't believe this guy just messed with the wrong person at the wrong time." And he turns around, and who is it there? It's his long lost best friend who lives in the other side of the world just came over there and he saw him in the street instead of the the immense anger that he has instantly turns into a tremendous amount of love i can't believe it's you and he go and he give a hug and they're crying they're reunited together when Baruch who sometimes gives us a slap we have to turn around and be like wait a minute it's hashem you know like i love you hashem thank you for giving me that slap you know like and we connect if we look at things at a different perspective, it changes everything that we, the way that we see it. There was a, there was a guy that was more secular, and he started to become more religious, and then, then he got into a huge accident. And in this accident, the doctors told him that he's going to be paralyzed, permanently paralyzed. And initially, he had, he had, he had questions, you know, like, it's like, why God, like, what, I, I'm coming closer to you, this is what you're doing to me. And as time, you know, went by, he started changing his attitude. And, you know, very quickly after that, he started, you know, increasing on his, uh, in his religious observance. And, uh, you know, within a, a short period of time after that, through some sort of miracle, uh, he ended up, you know, completely like not paralyzed. He was able to walk. He was able to, he was able to do everything, completely not paralyzed. So his friend went over to him and asked him, he says, I don't understand. Like, how did you grow so close to God during the most difficult time in your life? Like God gave you such a blow and that's when you came close to him. And this person goes and he explains and he says, you know, imagine someone takes away $200,000 from you, $300,000 from you, steals from you. You know, like it hurts you. It really destroys you. But then this guy goes and he gives you back $100,000. Like, okay, thank you. And then he gives you another $100,000. And you say, you know, like, okay, you know, like, all right, this guy's not too bad. And then this guy gives you $200,000 back. And you're like, oh, wait a minute. You know, like, uh, you do a quick math and be like, this guy's giving me more. And then this guy gives you a million dollars back. And he's like, oh, this guy's, you know, it's not too bad. Okay, so he made a mistake, buddy. You know, he knows how to, you know, he knows how to come back from it. He goes and he says, like, when a Kiddush Baruch Hu took away everything from me, and he put me in a position that I wasn't able to move anymore, yeah, I was broken, I was that God took away a few hundred thousand dollars. But then, I was able to move a toe. I was able to move a foot. I was able to, I, and God kept on giving me back more and more money. And now that I'm able to walk, it's the greatest gift possible. I'm able to go, and I'm able to go, and I'm able to move around. You know, and I could say that to myself personally. 
Like I'm able to go out of my day without pain in my eye. I'm able to see a little bit less blurry than I saw yesterday, Baruch Hashem. Like you think about it, like how amazing is that? Like instead of being angry, you could go and you could go and focus on the positive. And getting close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. There's a Gemara in Sanhedrin, page 37b, that says that Golos atones for half a sin. Meaning that if you go through exile, it atones for partial of the, you know, of the sin. The Peleots goes in, uh, in Eskimal in, um, in, under Golos, and, which is exile, and goes and says, you know, what, what does it mean exile? You know, like in the olden days, it'd be like, I'm going into exile, right? And you take a stick. And on the bottom, the top of the stick, there's a little sack that's tied to it. And in there you have, I don't know, whatever it is that you have. And you walk through the river and the pond, and you walk through the road, and then you, you know, whatever, you're going to know the town, and you're in exile. You're, you know, what's exile nowadays? Like, what's exile? You're taking a plane ride, an air conditioning, you know, flying missile, you know, traveling at 500 miles per hour with snacks, food, toiletry, running water, and everything like that. Like, where, where's exile? What is exile? So, Paliots goes and says, you know, when you travel for learning Torah, for businesses, for making parnasa, that's exile, that's gullus. And to the point that when you go and you set out on your journey, you have to go and you have to say, I know that I'm traveling, this is, this is going to be a kapara for my, uh, for my sins. And you say, like, let it be a kapara for my sins. And if a person goes and travels on you know, a business meeting or whatever it is, and uh, the flight gets delayed, the bus gets delayed, the train gets delayed, you have to realize this is a kapara. You know, what happens if you miss your flight? I think initially, most people think, the second that the, the flight is missed, be like, well, it must be the plane is going to blow up. I don't know why people are so <laughs> negative. But like, well, I was, you know, kind of upset that it didn't blow up. Now, the fact that I missed my, uh, my, missed my flight. But when you think about it, be like, taking all that dark humor away, be like, I missed a flight. Okay, you know, like, Baruch Hashem, thank you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. This is another part of the, you know, of the exile. And this brings a kapara, brings an atonement to everything that we, we have to atone for. And when you go, and when you're going through an atonement, when you're going through an exile, when you're traveling, and you accept that travel, that in itself is, is so much, is worth so much more than if you just would have went through it. The acceptance of it was something that we spoke about previously, is so powerful, and it's worth, it, it like doubles, triples the, the value of your, of your, you know, atonement. And this is not only, you know, traveling. Even if you go, and the Paleoids goes and says, if you move houses, you move apartments, every time you move, it's a big, it's a big pain. That's a kapara for, you know, for, for your sins. Now, if we think about it, and we could say like, okay, we could focus this on two angles. We could focus it on like, I can't believe I need to move again. I can't believe I need to do this again. I can't believe I have this issue again. Or we could stop it for a second and be like, wait a minute, this is a kapara. Baruch Hashem, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. If we stop for a second, we realize HaKadosh Baruch Hu is so amazing. He's so kind to us that in order to cleanse us from our sins, He does things that is in a normal way, in a normal things. Like when we go and we travel, uh, I'll tell you even furthermore, the fact that whoever is here is coming into a live Zoom class, it's, you know, you have to work around the schedule of the class. You have to work around that. That's something you could have much easier just listen to it on Torah anytime. You listen to it on YouTube and Spotify and whatever it is and all the different podcasts. You could have listened to it all, uh, you know, all that. But instead, you went and you decided you're going to join the class. So now you went through a difficulty because now you're working through the schedule. Now you're working through the schedule. That's a kapara. That's worth already so much more. So much more. You're going and you're traveling to go to pray in, the, in, a, in a shul, in a synagogue. That's a kapara. You're driving your kids to yeshiva to school. That's a kapara. We stop for a second. 
You're waiting outside on the bus stop for your kids, for the, whatever it is. All this is an atonement. How amazing is HaKadosh Baruch Hu that He's giving us atonement through regular daily life. Through man. Now you can think about it, but like, oh, I can't believe I have to go and I have to travel, I have to do this. Or, you can think about it like, how awesome is this? Like, I need a kapara, and this is how HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave me the kapara? Like, there was, this past Rosh Hashanah, HaKadosh Baruch Hu decreed that I am going to be in Hatzalah van Friday night, this past Friday night, you know, in Hatzalah van. And out of the mercy of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the only reason was, was a corneal abrasion, a slight, you know, okay, it was painful, but whatever it is, like a slight thing in the eye, that within a few days it was all healed. You know how much worse that going to be? Like, how, how awesome is God? That, that was the reason that I was here, and I was opposed to anything worse. There's so many different things that we can focus on. And life throws us curveballs. There's nothing that we can do about it. We, we're not in charge of what the pitcher sends us. We're the batter. We have to go and we have to sit over there in the plate and we have to swing. And the curveballs are going to come, but it all depends on how we're going to deal with it. If we see things in the right perspective, we're like, okay, you know, I like, thank you, Akadish Barakul. We, think, we see things in the right mind. We see that it's for our benefit. The fact that I don't understand and I don't know why, but for whatever reason, the pain in my eye, the discomfort that I went through, it's all because like this Baruch says, this is for your benefit. How, why, when, where, I have no idea. But all I can say is thank you God. Thank you, Akadish Baruch for sending this to me. So when you realize it's for your benefit, okay, so it's, you know, like, you know, like, it's, it's pretty awesome. Like, that's all that, you know, like, you know, like, you know, it's not bad. You know, like, I appreciate that. But the question is, how do you realize that it's for your benefit? And that's through working on Ahavas Hashem. Realizing and how much we're lacking in our love to God. HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves us more than anything. We have to reciprocate that love. We may not see it. There's so many things that we could go, just like the rabbi went and he loved this student so much, he says, I don't want you to go and suffer and I'm going to go and I'm going to make you collect money now for me. And that guy was going through suffering, through embarrassment, going and collecting money, but in the, technically in the name of the rabbi. But really it was for him, not really it was for him. I this book who does so many things for us and we're looking and being like, God, why? Just like this person could have gone to this rabbi and be like, Rabbi, what are you doing to me? You know I don't have any money to get this. Like, why are you doing this to me? But the rabbi says, I know, don't worry about it. Soon you're going to see it's for your benefit. It's all for you. You're going to get all the money. It's all coming to your bank account. It has nothing to do with me. HaKadosh Baruch Hu sends us curveballs, but it's all for us. Everything is for our benefit. The fundamental underlining root of everything that we spoke about is all about HaKar Satov. If we realize that everything is for our benefit, if we realize the things in the right perspective, then we could come to the point where we're saying, wait a minute, Kaddish Baruch I love you so much, thank you so much. And we have the Avas Hashem. When we have the Avas Hashem, we do a mitzvah, we're doing it out of love of HaKadosh Baruch We're doing it out of love of HaKadosh Baruch We don't have any of the curses that come. The fundamental root of everything is, is HaKar Satov. And this is why we can under, begin to understand why we're called Yehudim, right? This is how we started the whole series of, of gratitude. We're called Yehudim. Why, why, why are we called the, the the name of Yehudim, that means gratefulness. We're grateful. That's who we are. We don't begin to understand how important gratitude is in our life. Uh, this is like the ninth class of gratitude that, you know, that we spoke about in a sub-series of, you know, of, uh, of Emunah. 
Like, we don't realize how, how important, how imperative this is. This is so crucial to our emotional state, our physical state, our spiritual state. This is so fundamental. And the problem is, it, it just swings way over our head. And we just miss the boat. Unless we're constantly, constantly working on this. You're going to, this is something that you have to constantly work on. And I have to say, one of the, the beautiful things about being able to give classes, give shiurim, is that you really have to, you're forced to, to work on the subject. And this subject may have not helped not a single person on planet Earth, whoever, all the people that listen to the class, it may have, but it definitely helped me. Like, to the point that now where I am standing here right now, I am not the same person that was, I don't know, uh, we've been doing this class, this series for a while, but before we started the whole thing of, of Hagar's, I was not the same. I, and by the way, before that, I was, Hagar's love was always a big thing for me. Like, with my family, I've been doing, you know, th- th- things that we're thankful to Hashem for way before I started this class. But this is something that the, the more that we focus on, the more that we learn, the more it's going to change your life. It's, it, it, like you, it, it's review. It's, focus, it's, it's like putting things into... It, it, just like when you go and you work out and you want to build muscle, you do the same things again and again. You're bench pressing again and again. You're on the treadmill every single day. You're going and you're working on your squatting. You're doing all these things every single day. That you know the stuff already. The question is, why am I need to do it again? I know the stuff already. I know it. But the thing is that the more that you do it, the more that you build. And there's never in, I don't think there's ever a time where we could say we're good in this subject. There's certain things that we're constantly need to improve on. That there's never a time where we could say, wow, you know, like, I am good in Hakar Satov. I am good in the mood. There's certain things that no matter how much it is, we have to constantly review, listen, read the same Sfarim again, listen to the same classes again, keep on focusing, alerting, alerting, alerting more because it changes your life. It, ch- it changes, I, I can't even begin to tell you, like, when this thing, my eye, with that happened with my eye, I was pacing in my bedroom. I had guests downstairs, I was pacing in my bedroom, and as I was in the most excruciating pain, I remember going, I'm, 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 I, like, I stopped for a second, I'm like, thank you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, for the pain that you're sending me right now. And I have to tell you, that if it would have happened a year, two years ago, before I did it, maybe I would have said it, maybe not, I don't know. I don't know. But it happens to be the fact that I'm constantly learning about it, constantly preparing about it. That's why I was, it was in my mind. I was able to focus it. This is something that we have to constantly change. And this is not something that's just like a nice thing. It changes our reality. You understand that it's going to change your relationship. It's going to change your stress level. It's going to change who you are as a person, who you are as a spouse, who you are as a parent. And the more that you focus, the more that you review, the more that you learn, the more that you internalize, the better off that you're going to be. This is not a like, oh, maybe, this is a, uh, you know, like we're not supposed to promise. So this is, you know, as close as a promise as this is, I can guarantee it that it's going to change your life. With that, we'll open up to some questions. Okay, so I have to see... I can't. I am not able to zoom in on the questions because my eye, my vision is a little bit blurry. But I'm going to try to get all these. Uh, oh, we don't. Doesn't look like we have so much. Okay. Okay. Shira, thank you for the blessing. I'm main for that. Okay. Here's another question. It's so difficult to take a step back when the situation is recurrent. Oh, what do we do? Oh, so here's a good question. 
So what about when there's a recurrent situation? So sometimes, sometimes you have to get out of the situation, meaning that if, let's say, there is an abusive relationship or there is a detrimental situation, you, it's not just about stepping back and say, you know what, God put me in this situation, I, you know, like I'm thankful. In, in one sense, yes, but in another sense, you have to do your hishtadlis, your, your, you know, your, what, what your requirement that you need to do in it. But what happens when you're in a situation where it's consistently negative? So sometimes it's not only about taking a step back. Sometimes you have to take a step back and you say like, okay, this is where I am because God, this is where God wants me to be. But at the same point in time, there are times where I have to get out of the situation and I have to remove myself from the situation. Sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes it's more difficult. Again, this is something that you should speak to your rabbi, your mentor, your rabbinate, whatever, someone that could guide you along those, uh, you know, uh, on the particular situation. Ah, Okay. So, how do we know, how do you know if it's something, if it's a punishment for something or whether it's something specific God wanted us to work on? So, there is two ways to uh, focus on this. And number one is that God put you in a certain situation. So, if God put you in a certain situation, it's dealing with the situation. Now, how are we going to deal with the situation? Okay, so you know you have to be grateful, you have to be thankful, and then you have to think about, okay, wait a minute, do I have to stay in the situation or do I have to remove myself from the situation? But on the other hand, like maybe it's a punishment. Maybe God put us in a situation because it's a punishment. So where the problem can lie in this thought process is if, the, let's say you're in a negative situation, you have to be like, wait a minute, if God put me in a certain situation and it's because it's a punishment, it's an atonement for my sin, so I better off stay in this punishment because it's a better off, it's, a, it's an atonement for my sin. And the answer to that is, is that we're not supposed to put ourselves in a, in a situation. If we're able to remove ourselves, we're supposed to remove ourselves. And that is why, and the, the easiest example, again, this is a black and white example, but there's everything that falls into, into, you know, into the gray area. But if you look at a black and white, if there's an abusive situation, you have to get out of that. You shouldn't stay in an abusive situation and say, okay, God, it's a punishment and it's a kapara, it's an atonement, which granted it is. But at the same point in time, we're not supposed to put ourselves in that situation and we're supposed to put ourselves, take ourselves out. And by the way, I can't tell you how many cases where I've dealt with where people are like, but I need to stay in this situation. Even if it's not for me, it's for, it's for a family member, it's for this. At the end of the day, people have to realize that no, sometimes you have to remove yourself, you have to save yourself and you have to work on yourself from like, you have to work on your sibling, whatever it is, from a different uh, different angle. Oh, okay. Looks like that's that. That's the last question. All right. I want to thank you all for joining, and uh, thank you all for for coming. And bezat Hashem with Hakadosh Baruch Hu's help, that we should be able to internalize our Ava Hashem, our love of God, and be able to take a step back and realize the right level, the right angle that we're supposed to have things. We should have things in the right perspective. And with that, HaKadosh Baruch Hu should give us only blessing and shouldn't have to deal with anything bad and all the good stuff that we're dealing with that we're going to be able to learn exactly the same lessons, exactly the same comparisons that it could have been with the bad. So we should all have only, only, only amazing, amazing things. Thank you all for joining. Until next time. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.